Oh man, I have to live up to that now. Okay, so we're continuing in our series on prayer this morning. Thank you so much for that intro, Mark. That's just great. We're on part five, and it's called When God Says No. When God Says No. And we're going to unpack those times in our lives when God seems to be saying no, or he seems not to be answering our prayers, or our prayers are just going unheard or unanswered, or something just isn't happening. And there are all sorts of reasons why God might say no to our prayers, and we're going to drill down into three of those today during my message. But before I do that, what I'd like to do is I'd like to open by recommending a book to you. And I'm actually going to recommend several books during the course of this message, and the the, the cover of those books will appear up on the screen along with the title and the author. I'd encourage you to get your smartphone out, take a picture of it, if that's something that you fancy having a read of, because it will really bless you. These are all books that I've read myself, and they've really blessed me. And uh, the the book that I'd like to open by recommending to you uh, first is a book called God on Mute. God on Mute. This is written by Pete Gregg, who is the author of the book called How to Pray that the Every Woman Life Group is working through at the moment. So he wrote How to Pray later on. This book he wrote... I think it was 2007, off the top of my head. An excellent, excellent book. I would include this book in my top 10 Christian books of all time outside the Bible. Really significant, uh, scholarly, decent, strong work on prayer and why God God sometimes says no or why God doesn't seem to answer what we're asking for from him. In fact, in this book, um, Pete Gregg traces a journey of sickness that his wife, Sammy, goes through over an extended period. Uh, she seemed to suffer from seizures, and there seemed to be no explanation for it. And he digs in, they dig in together, and they pray, and they pray, and they pray. And in the book, he gives you, f- I think it's 14 or 15 reasons or explorations as to why God might be saying no Uh, And he unpacks all of that. So if you want a detailed work on this subject that I'm speaking on this morning, that is your book to go for. At the top of your sermon handout, I hope you have one of these to hand. Uh, We're going to be using this again. At the top of your sermon handout, on the left-hand side there, at the top, is just a quick reminder or a caution, if you like, that we need to stay a little bit pastoral and caring uh, towards others if they are experiencing a no from God in their prayer life. Um, It says this caution, uh, use the points on this handout to comfort yourself, but never use them with someone in pain because you don't know why God has said no to them. So my encouragement to us today is to use the material in this handout and in this message as something you can receive for you. You can receive it for your difficult times when you're trying to get an answer from God. Um, and try not to use this message as a means of kind of, you know, telling someone else off or dishing out advice or being a little bit glib. You know, be pastoral uh, with this material. That's important. We're going to be filling in the blanks. You've got some blank lines on there. And the very first one, number one, God says no when he has a bigger perspective. It's the first thing to fill in. God says no when he has a bigger perspective. 
God is able to see far more than we can. It makes complete sense. He also has much greater wisdom than we do. And therefore, it stands to reason that it makes lots of sense to consult him about everything that we're considering for our future. Because he's got that visibility and he's got that wisdom. And I want to give you a tangible example of how this might play out in reality. Imagine you are applying to work in an organization that you admire. Now, all your research about that organization tells you that it seems to be like a nice place to, uh, to work and to build your career. And your perspective shows you something a little bit like what is up on the screen. You can, you've heard from some of the people in that organization. You've kind of gone around 12 of them. Three of them aren't sure about the organization, but you put that down to their personal struggle or whatever they're going through. The rest of those people, they're cool, they're happy, they're excited, they want to be part of that team. That looks like a reasonable bet. And I mean, most of us in the room, if we saw an organization like that, we'd probably go, well, that's worth a shout if I was thinking of applying there. Well, that was me uh, when I applied to work in a management consulting firm called 80 Carney back in 1997. The people there seemed sharp, the company seemed to be going somewhere, and I thought it would do my career lots and lots of good to join this company. Now, there were also some other things that attracted me to the company. I got a chance to work in central London, I got to travel, got a super thin laptop, you know, not saying that that influenced my decision in any way. I also had an expense account. It was a pretty glamorous kind of thing to step up to. Now, had I been a Christian at that time, which I wasn't, and had I consulted God about it, which I didn't, I think he would have said to me, I'm not really sure that's the best place for you to work, Nick. I think he would have said that to me. His perspective about the organization at that time would, of course, have been much bigger and much wiser than mine. And he would have shown me, in fact, that it was not the kind of place that was good for my career. So this would have been God's picture uh, from his bigger perspective of what that environment was really like. Now, my experience with A.T. Carney was painful. And I'd love to have had God say to me, hmm, don't think you should do that, and to close the door for me before I went into it. Because actually, as you can see, I've tried to show some, well, some pretty toxic people there in the red. There were some pretty angry characters around that company. Uh, I'm, I've been left a little bit cynical, cynical sorry, about management consultants since then. Now, I'm sure that any management consultants in the room here today are great. I'm sure you're brilliant, and I'm sure you do a great job, but I wasn't impressed with what I ran into down there. You know, somebody once said that consultants steal your watch, they charge you to tell you the time, and then they sell you your watch back again. And you're like, how was that a benefit to me? And I have to say, part of me agrees with that from my experience in that, in that company at that time. It'd be great if God could show us what to avoid and, not the, and to avoid the trouble we might get into otherwise. And I was actually very grateful when I left that company. I thought I might just mention to you in passing, since all of us end up in situations a little bit like this and we run into people who are a bit difficult, um, there's a particular book that I read just recently that helps you navigate toxic people uh, very effectively. It's a really biblical, decent book. Uh, it's called When to Walk Away by an author called Gary Thomas. It's not often I will read a book in a single sitting, effectively. I think I read it in 24 hours. Uh, Just a great, great book. Uh, If you're someone that finds it hard to know how to navigate people who don't really support you that well, uh, or even to spot them, this is a super book. 
very grounded, very biblical, uh, great teaching in it. Proverbs 2, verse 8 says this, in your handout there, it says this, God guards the course of the just and he protects the way of his faithful ones. Maybe I could have saved myself a lot of trouble had I been able to see things from God's point of view and asked him to show me that. So first, sometimes God is saying no because he's got a bigger perspective. In other words, he can see more than you can. He's wiser than you are. And he's looking at it from his position and he's saying, no, that's not a good idea for you. Second thing to fill in there on your handout, God says no when he has a better plan. God says no when he has a better plan. It always makes sense, it seems to me, to participate in the plan that God has for us as far as we possibly can and at all times because he is a planner on a whole nother level than we are. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 there in your handout says, This plan of mine is not what you would work out. Neither are my thoughts the same as yours, for my ways are higher than your ways. And actually, we have to admit that that's true. God's ability to kind of compute all the different scenarios is way, way better than ours, and he's an incredible planner. And so sometimes when we pray about something to God, we need to remember that he might simply be saying no because his plan is much, much better than ours, the one he's got that's coming down the track. Let me share a story with you from uh, our marriage, mine and Chloe's marriage, um, about how we do planning together. Uh, We have done up several kitchens between us in the course of our married lives. I think we've done about four or five. And uh, each time we've done it, we've spent a significant amount of time in the planning phase, making sure that the plan is right, making sure that things are in the right place. And uh, there's a picture of, in fact, that's our current kitchen. That was our latest one that we kind of did. And that's what it was before. And that's what it is now. And so we spent quite a lot of time in the planning of that. And it's really paid dividends because stuff is in the right place. The kitchen works properly and everything works out well in the end. So I want to I kind of take you back to the first time that we did this. Okay, the first time that we planned a kitchen, I made, now this, you might find this a little hard to believe, but I made a scale model out of wood and I made all the appliances to go in it out of paper. Okay? All right, I just, I just putting that out there, okay? So I basically got the walls, got the door position, got the window position, and then I, you know like in uh, maths at school, you do 3D geometry thing and you do a net? Do you remember a net, anybody? Where in maths, you lay out the flat diagram and it's got it all flat, and then you fold it right and stick it together. It becomes a cube or a box or an oblong. I did that, but with the dryer and the washing machine and the all miniature, okay? And I put it all there and I put it... I put it in my wooden kitchen that I made. It was all to scale so that I could move the different things around without putting in loads of effort because, you know, let's face it, moving appliances around is hard work and you want them in the right place. Ezron, thank you so much for your support and nodding. He's getting my wisdom on this, okay? So I did this scale model of the kitchen. I had my paper appliances and I was able to move them around wherever I wanted. And for some inexplicable reason, Chloe found this hilariously funny that I'd made this model and one time she came past as I was just kind of planning things and she went and all my appliances fell over that's how it rolls in our marriage pray for me 
God sometimes simply says no because what you're doing is just not the best plan. He's got a much better plan in mind. And in fact, his plans will blow your plans away. They will. Now, we see a lot of striking examples from the Bible of how this plays itself out in biblical history. Maybe one of the most striking, I could pick from many, but maybe one of the most striking is when the people of Judah have to go into exile in captivity in Babylon under King Nebuchadnezzar. There is no doubt in my mind that there will have been those praying at that time who would have found it very hard indeed to see how exile from their home nation to that uh, alien city, you know, that Gentile city would have been a good thing. They'd have prayed against that with everything they had. And yet God saw that it was necessary for Daniel and his friends to spend time in the culture of Babylon, and in particular, for someone to speak godly truth into King Nebuchadnezzar's life. And if we wind back a little bit before that, even further still, we can also see that Jonah's efforts to reach out to the people of Nineveh actually set up the time in advance for the arrival of the people from Judah into Babylon so that it wasn't completely alien and horrible. God has a plan, and sometimes his plan seems incredibly convoluted, and it's not what we would have done at all, and yet it all works out much, much better in the end. In fact, I'd put it to you that God has all of eternity to fulfill his promises. And you can fill that in on the first square box on your hand out there, the one that's surrounded by the the box. It says, uh, God has all eternity to fulfill his promises. He has all of that time to come good on the plans that he's got that right at that moment in time we're finding really hard to understand. So first, God is sometimes saying no to us because he has a bigger perspective. He can see more than us. Second, God sometimes says no when he has a better plan in mind. And I think in eternity, all of God's plans are going to get wrapped up and we will find that they were perfect after all. Thirdly, God says no when he has a greater purpose. He says no when he has a greater, greater purpose in line for us. Back in the year 2003, I decided that I needed to pursue the next step in my career in IT, as an IT project manager. And so I applied for a job uh, in the IT department of a company uh, based in Derby. Now, all the plans were put in place. Uh, We even made an offer on a house in a little town just outside Derby, well, a little village, really, called Ruddington. And the lady there was really pleased with the offer. She accepted it. And we said, well, we're going to have to wait until our house sells down south. We placed our own house on the market. And we said to one another and to God, we'll put our house on the market for three months. And if it's God's purpose for us to move, then we'll take the house selling as God's sign that he's in this plan. And then three rather amazing things happened over those three months. First of all, I started reading a book called The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. And here's another book that makes it into my top ten of all-time Christian reads. In fact, this is an incredibly uh, good book. Really, really recommend it if you've not had a chance to read it. I think it's the book that holds the record for the most hardback copy non-fiction book ever sold. I think he's sold something like 27 million No, it's uh, 25 million hardback copies and 37 million paperbacks. It's just a stunning book. And deservedly so. It's an awesome, awesome book. So I started reading this book in 2003. 
And it was an instrumental book in helping me to decide to change kind of career direction and become a pastor rather than staying in the world of IT. Now, I don't want you to think that all God ever does is call people out of the world and come and do ministry. I I don't believe that. I think he calls people into all sorts of different kinds of destinies. I really do think that, but I can only speak from my own experience, and so you'll get a story that's maybe a little bit biased towards pastors. As I was reading this book, I suddenly felt that my career in IT was something I shouldn't be pursuing, and I should go and knock on the door of becoming a pastor. In fact, I felt that God was calling me to a different and a greater purpose than I had been involved in up to now, and that was to, uh, to go and train for ministry. Psalm 52 verse uh, 7, sorry, 57 verse 2, sorry, in your sermon outline there says, I cry out to God most high who fulfills his purpose for me. God has a purpose for each and every one of us, and he wants all of us to be fruitful for him in his kingdom. And if we are obedient and can hear his no sometimes, he will steer us into greater fruitfulness than if we just think, oh, it's just, I'm going to push, all, push it all away. No, we have to understand that sometimes God is saying no to steer us into the most fruitful place. Now, you have to understand that after putting all of those uh, plans in place to sell our house and to move to Derby, um, when I then go and read this book and start expressing my change of heart, uh, Chloe was, well, to be honest, she wasn't that pleased. You know, we'd put our house on the market. Uh, there was all these talk of my going and I'd even gone and spoken to the manager of my new department, all this kind of stuff. I read this book and then I come, you know, I, I was reading it in the back garden. It was a nice summer. And I come bounding in from the back garden and say, hey, Chloe, I think I need to be a pastor. I've changed my mind. And she's like, oh, great. You know, and it, yeah, of course, you know, you should be supportive of people's aspirations and open to them changing. But she said very wisely, If I still felt the same way after that three months was come and gone, then go right ahead and pursue this idea that you've suddenly had to become a pastor. Now, I was looking through my bookshelves, and um, I've actually got a couple of spare new copies of The Purpose Driven Life. So, hands up anybody who would like one. Nicole, there we go. Yes, there we go. Okay. It's an awesome, awesome book. Really, really recommend that. Get yourself a copy, have a read, instrumental for me in my journey. So that was the first thing that happened. House on the Market, read a great Christian book. Second thing that happened during that season was we visited several churches in the Derby area because, of course, moving means that you're going to be worshipping in a different church. And we wanted to go and check out some different churches. And one Sunday, we visited an Elam church in a district of Nottingham called Beeston. And we went to the Elam church there. And the message that was preached that day was called, Give It a Go for God. And the minister said it about 900 times. And I was like, yeah, okay, God, all right, yeah, give it a go for you, I get it. You know, it was, it was one of those messages that I thought was for me, but also was really rammed home. And I felt very strongly that it was like a confirmation that God was saying to me that he wanted me to take a big risk for him. And in the first few days of processing that message, I thought that it was a confirmation that I should move and go to Derby. But afterwards, I started to realize that it had a much bigger implication, which was that actually what I'd been reading in the book about becoming a pastor was the right thing to go and pursue. And really, what God was saying to me was, go and give it a go for God, directly. Go and work for God in that way. The third thing that happened in that season of three months was that our house stayed on the market And we only had one offer made. 
And the one offer included, oh, can you take 20 grand off the house price that you're asking for? And can you move the bathroom to another room in the house? And if you've ever done a bathroom, I mean, it's just, that's probably, along with the kitchen, it's the most expensive room to renovate in a house. And we were thinking, wow, so you want us to effectively pay 25 grand for you to move in off the, no, we're not doing that. So that offer was ignored. We just said no, politely, but we didn't want to take that up. And so those three things happened in that period of time. And when all three of those things came together, it started to become clear that God was making a greater purpose apparent in my life at that time. So we decided to stay put. I uh, went and applied to the Bible college, and I got in and I got offered a place, and I went and started there in September 2005. And the rest, as they say, is history. Now, had I not listened to God and worked out that he was saying no to me when I wanted to make that job move, then it's possible that I would never have made that transition to becoming a pastor. And actually, you'd be hearing a different person probably giving a slightly different message today and I'd still be somewhere around the country delivering IT rollouts and upgrades, okay? I strongly believe, looking back, that God said no to my career move because he had a greater purpose in mind for me at that time. So God says no when he has a bigger perspective, a better plan, and a greater purpose. And I want to say to you, you need to take heart from that. Good things might be just around the corner. So when God says no here... It could well be that there's something incredible just here that you have to just wait for, and it's coming. So take heart. However, having said that, I do think we need some help with what to do right in those times when God is saying no to us, or he has said no, and and, and it's really difficult. It's not always easy when someone says no to us, is it? Hard to take. So let's move on to the second half of our sermon there in the sermon notes, and we're going to move on to that right-hand side there. Romans 8.28, actually just at the, I think, bottom left there, and then moving up to the top right. Is that correct? No, Romans 8.28 says, in everything, yeah, just under point number one there, in everything God works for the good of those who love him. Everything that happens to us, God works it out for us. And so the first thing to do when God says no is to trust that God does everything in goodness and love. Trust that he does it in goodness and love. And that's such an important concept to get right. You know, when God says no to us, we can be guilty of interpreting that as that he is not pleased with us or that he doesn't love us anymore or that he's rebuking us or that things aren't as rosy as they once were between us and him. No, that's not the case. Trust that God does everything in goodness and love, even if we can't see that at the time can be really hard sometimes to receive a no in that way, can't it? So here's a little key that might help you with that. And you can put this in that second box on the top right-hand side of your handout. And it says this, I don't have to understand God's answer to know that it is motivated by love. I don't have to understand God's answer to know that it is motivated by love. So we've just had Valentine's Day, haven't we, Uh, on Friday, and there's been a lot of kind of gushy romantic expressions kicking around, and people are saying lovely things to uh, to, to their sweetheart and all the rest of it. But real love is having someone else's long-term interests in your heart, in your words, and in your consistent actions towards them that are taking them further in their godly direction, in the direction that God wants for them. That's love. 
And I want to I share a story with you to illustrate that. That's kind of a subtle story. It's not like in your face, but it says the thing really well that I want to try and say. When I was in secondary school, we had a very charismatic and talented and inspirational head of drama for a brief time. He was a great guy. He was really good at bringing different people together and very good at creating incredible stage productions. And I remember one time uh, he staged the musical Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat, and it was awesome. It was just so good. It was a massive hit. Uh, And all the boys in the school really thought he was great. But we noticed after a couple of productions, he kind of disappeared. He left the school, and we were disappointed that he'd gone. He just moved on, and quite quickly. And we didn't really understand why someone with so much talent left our school. Now, many years later, I found out as an adult that the school had asked him to resign because he was hopeless at sticking to the budgets he was allocated. Now, that sounds like a really mundane thing to say, doesn't it? But actually, both of the main productions that he had created for us, they ran up several thousand pounds worth of debt uh, and expense, if you like, beyond their budgets. And someone in leadership in our school made a tough decision, but a good decision, that this person could not continue in their role uh, because they couldn't stick to a budget. They just couldn't. Now, it's not something you could kind of explain to the boys. Uh, It wasn't something that pupils are necessarily going to understand too much anyway. And I'm sure that that leader was not appreciated at at the time for that good decision that they made. But in the big picture, it was totally the right thing to do to to protect the integrity of the school and to manage its resources properly for all the boys. It really was. And what was quite interesting was, uh, we then also found later that this drama director went on to inherit a large, well, actually a fortune, a huge amount of money. Uh, I think it was a couple of million pounds. And he bought a theatre school, and hence the picture of the the chateau on the right. And this theatre school was based in a chateau in France, and it had everything going for him to make a really great business uh, in drama, you know, training people up, they could be residential, all that sort of stuff. But within a few years, all that money had gone as well. So just like that good leader, I never found out who that was, but just like that good leader in that school... We need to trust that God does everything in goodness and love. And it does it with a long-term view in mind. Sometimes his no seems really hard to understand at the time, but in the long run, we will get it. We will see it was the right thing. Some of us uh, who are parents know this uh, really well. You know, sometimes our kids just need a great big fat no from us and no explanation And that's just how it's going to be. And we understand that. God is always good, even when he says no to our prayers. Amen? Even when things seem incredibly opposite to goodness at that time, I'm convinced that God will always be shown to be loving, faithful, and just in the long run. I believe that with everything I've got. Let's turn our focus to a time when exactly this issue came up and was the case. Uh, There is a time when one member of the Trinity said no to another. Sounds like a bit of a shock, doesn't it? We frequently applaud the three people of the Trinity, and by by that, it's it's not a word we find in the Bible, but it's the three people of God. Uh, So that's God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the person, the Holy Spirit. And we applaud those three people because they model community and unity to us, don't they? Uh, Very much so. But in this situation we're about to see, the father says no 
to the request of the Son, of his Son Jesus, as Jesus prays in Gethsemane before he goes to the cross. Uh, There's a picture of modern-day Gethsemane, uh, and you can still visit that. Um, And that's where Jesus prayed the night before uh, he went then to his kind of trial that he had and then went to the cross the next day on that Good Friday. Over the years, I think I found it increasingly hard to even read the passage that we're going to look at, let alone preach about it. I was, when I was preparing this message this week, I found this hesitancy in myself about it because it's such a big, it's such a big deal, uh, what is said here. And I suppose it's partly because I've gained over the years a more acute sense of my own sin and my own tendency to sin and how damaging that is and how much I need to watch that and be very on my toes about it. But also, at the same time, I've grown more and more aware of the cost to Jesus of what he did. Uh, in that garden, because this was all forged in prayer before he went to the cross. That decision, he made that decision at that time uh, to be obedient to his father. And I think, what do I think? The no that Jesus received from the father is the no that we find all of our context for when we get a no from God. So let me put that in other words. Whenever you get a no from God, you understand that it, Jesus has been through that no as well, in a form. And in fact, it's in a form that's much bigger than the no that we might be facing. We can't ever charge God with saying, well, you gave all the permissions to Jesus and none of the difficulties, can we? Actually, Father God gave Jesus a very, very difficult no. And Jesus tried to pray his way around that or, or, or through it in a different way than was intended for him. So I think this no, on this occasion, we find the context for all the no's that God ever says to any of our prayer requests. And actually, we can't trump that. We can't overcome it. We can't beat it. But what I also want to point out to you is it's it's not just a no. Even in this situation, as Jesus is praying, he gives us a model of how we can pray when we are in severe difficulty ourselves or when we are in pain. And that's the amazing thing. So you can fill this model in against number two on the right-hand side there. It says this, when in pain, pray what Jesus prayed facing the cross. When in pain, pray what Jesus prayed facing the cross. Let's just read that passage just briefly, a moment together. Mark 14, that's in your notes there. Mark 14, 35 to 36 says this, Going a little farther, Jesus fell to the ground praying that, if possible he might not have to suffer what was ahead of him. Jesus prayed, Abba, my father, all things are possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will, not mine, to be done. You know, there's something really rather incredible about what Jesus does here. Let's go through these things. Each of the pattern that Jesus gives us starts with the letter A. And you can write these in, your, in that box on the right-hand side there. The first A is for affirm. Affirm God's power. So when you are under duress, under pain, you're put in a really, really difficult position. Affirm God's power. Jesus says to God, all things are possible for you. Listen to this a minute, church. When the answer is no, 
it's never because God can't. It's always because God has another plan. So this is not a power problem. God has power and always does. And we affirm him in his power from our difficult space. The second A is ask. Ask with passion. Ask with passion. Jesus asked, please take this cup of suffering away from me. We know something of the intensity of Jesus' plea to God uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane because in Luke's account, it reports that Jesus actually sweated what looked like blood. And we know now that um, capillaries just under the surface of your skin, they'll burst under incredible pressure. And when you're really, really focused on something, sometimes they'll burst and they'll mix with your sweat and it'll look like you're sweating like blood. That's what it looks like. So there's no question that Jesus was praying this with absolutely everything he had. The third A is to accept, accept God's plan. And in his prayer, Jesus says, I want your will, not mine, to be done. And sometimes the only response that we can give is to be like Jesus and lay down self fully and completely and be totally submissive to God. And there's something in our fallen nature, even though we're saved, that fights that. We find that so, so hard. It's the simplest of acts, and yet it's the hardest of acts. When God comes along and says something, and we have to do this, and we have to just say, do you know what? I'm just going to make myself humble. And I'm just going to accept that you are in charge, Lord God, and I need to be submitted to you. Your will, not mine. And that act is the hardest thing in the Christian life, in my opinion. Doing that routinely in your Christian walk is the hardest thing to do. It's to say, God, you're in charge, and I'm humbling myself. The hardest thing. You know, we get charged in, in, in our society that Christianity is like a crutch. It's easy. It's, it's an escape. It's, you know, it's made up. Whatever, whatever the charges are. But let me tell you something now. That bit of Christianity is not easy. It's the hardest thing that you can do. Is when you sense that God is saying no or God is asking you to do something and you put your great big fat ego out of the way and you say, I will do your will, Lord God, not my own. Paul sums up what Jesus achieved by doing that in the Garden of Gethsemane in his letter to the Philippians and he describes how Jesus lays down self. One of the most incredible bits of scripture you'll find. He says, it says that Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death on a cross. Incredible words. God's no to Jesus' prayer turned out to be an enormous yes to the people God sent Jesus to save. God saying no to Jesus was God saying yes to salvation, yes to sin being dealt with, and yes to eternal life with him in heaven. God had his own bigger perspective, better plan, and greater purpose when he committed Jesus to go through with the cross and said no to Jesus in that garden all those years ago. 
Here's a thought for you to take away this week if you like. Sometimes our personal costly obedience to God's no creates a huge enablement for someone else, for other people. Do you understand that? So if you're a person that's laying down something that's destructive and you're being obedient to God, that might create enablement in your family. If you're laying down an addiction and saying, I'm walking away from that, I'm not having anything to do with that destructive thing in my life, I'm going to be present to my wife and kids, you are creating enablement for them through your willingness to take a no from God about that thing. Sometimes our personal costly obedience to God's no creates a huge enablement for other people. I just want the worship team just to come up and join me on the platform again. We're going to just look at some ways how we might respond after we've sung in just a moment. But I just want to add one final point to your handouts there. The Bible actually gives us an explanation of how we might handle it when God says no directly. And it's the last thing to fill in. And it's this. Expect God to give his grace to handle his answer. So in other words, when God says no to us, and we're devastated by that, and it's the hardest thing ever, your response can be, and it's fine to do this, is to say, God, I'm finding it ever so hard that you're saying no to me, but would you give me some strength to be able to take that no on board? Can I just receive the ability from you, God, because I don't have it, but if you are saying no to me, please, would you give me the strength to see through that no, and to run with it, and to just accept it? In another part of the Bible, Paul asks God to take away a difficulty that he had to put up with. And the Bible's not really clear what that difficulty was. It's described as like a thorn in the flesh. And some commentators think it might have been to do with his eyesight. But it was something that definitely he felt a setback about continually, all the time. And Paul prays to God for it to be taken away. And God's answer to Paul is that his grace is enough for him. In other words, no 2 Corinthians 12, 8 and 9 says this, Three times I prayed to the Lord about this and asked him to take it away, but his answer was, My grace is all you need, for my power is greatest when you are weak. So if you are really struggling because God has said no to you, ask God to give you the strength to handle his no, so that you handle it with dignity and honor and obedience and submission that you dignify his no. Would you all stand with me? And we're going to sing a song, and then when we've sung a little bit, we're going to just explore some ways in which you can respond to today's message. Thanks, Luca. Thank you.